there was a story of a young lady who read a certain book. And after reading the book, uh, her remark is that this is the dullest book I've ever read. Well, not long after that, uh, she was able to meet uh, a friend and uh, she got to know they, were, they became really, really close. And in one of those times that they were able to spend together, uh, somehow they got into that conversation. And so this young lady opened up her friend and said, you know what? For some reason, I have this book in my library, which was written by uh, an author whose name is exactly the same as yours. Even your initials are exactly the same. Isn't that a coincidence? And so this friend replied and said, well, uh, I don't think so. The woman replied, oh, why not? And then the friend responded and said, well, for the simple reason that I actually wrote that book. Well, later on, the, the lady began to read again, pulled out that book, and as she continues to read it, she actually was able to finish it at one sitting until the early hours in the morning. And after reading it, she said, this is the most interesting book I've ever read. See, what's the difference? The difference simply is that she now knows and understands the heart of the writer. You know, when we have a close relationship with someone, we seek to know them well enough so that we can understand their heart, so that we can see things from their perspective as well. And uh, what we also want to know is that what are the things that are important to them? We want to see and discover the things that bring them joy. And how that relationship reflects in and through us is when we start to emulate, when we start to cultivate the same things, when we also begin to learn to put importance in the things that they put importance to, where the things that is closest to their hearts become close to us, when we begin to pursue and find joy in the things that they rejoice in. As God's people, I'm sure we all seek an intimate relationship with God. But the question we want to ask is, do we pursue the things that are closest to, the, to God's heart? Do we actually find joy in the things that God rejoices in the most? You know, back in Jesus' day, there were devoted and even religious leaders who sought to live and serve God. They also wanted to do things for God, but sadly, many of them missed the point of all that they were striving to do because they failed to understand what truly is close to God's heart. They failed to seek what God really wants them to pursue. You know, during Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders, as we know, are always against Him. They were always on the lookout trying to find fault in the things that He does. And we come to this point where they thought they have actually caught Jesus red-handed doing something that was so contrary to the law. And so we come to Luke chapter 15, and this is where the context begins. Verses 1 to 2 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners draw near to him and to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, tax collectors, as we all know, are not very uh, likable. They are uh, very corrupt, and so uh, they're very corrupt, and so they were a despised occupation, so to speak. And the sinners back then were also a very despised set of people because of their lifestyle. And so, for the religious leaders, these were people that are to be rejected. They do not have supposed to have anything to do with spiritual matters. You know, in the middle, in in, in those times as well, sitting over a meal with someone was actually a big deal. And so whenever you eat with someone, it's all, it's also an association that you have an unconditional acceptance of them. 
And so the assumption that they had now was that if Jesus would associate and eat with these guys, then he must be associating himself with sin as well. In other words, they were thinking birds of the same feather flock together. It's, it was so unthinkable for them who, you know, had, had a religious uh, agenda and yet was welcoming these guys and eating with them. And so they grumbled. The sad part was that they clearly misunderstood what Jesus was actually doing, what Jesus was trying to accomplish. And so Jesus responded to them through the parables that we, many of us, I'm sure, know very well about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Oftentimes, these are uh, understood as uh, or seen as three separate stories, but actually they constitute a, one response to Jesus' uh, conversation and discussion in this context. You see, what Jesus wanted to do here was that he wanted to bring out the heart of the, the religious leaders in contrast to the heart of God towards the people that need him and seek him. He wanted to highlight God's heart and how he really has a desire for them. And Jesus' implication is that if this is God's heart, then those who follow God must also cultivate the same heart so that they would also respond the same way. And so it begins in verse 3 to 7. He spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. It's very interesting how Jesus presents this conversation. Uh, somehow he presents a story, but also he's posing uh, as a question to them. And so in this first scenario, the, 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 the implied question Jesus was posing is that, what if you have lost something you cared for, such as a sheep? what would you actually do? Well, as we know, back then, uh, shepherding was a common uh, job and it's easy to understand, for them to understand this. And as we all know, sheep generally are not very smart creatures. They uh, can be uncooperative. They can sometimes get themselves into trouble. Sometimes they're getting themselves into danger without them even knowing it. But what's interesting is that every time one sheep, a sh uh, one sheep would be lost, a good shepherd would actually go to great lengths just to be able to see and be able to find and get back that one sheep. Imagine you have a hundred, what is one? But a good shepherd would do just that. You see, what motivates a good shepherd to search each and every of his sheep is because he cared for the sheep so much. It is because each sheep, each sheep is dear to him. That is why he would do every effort and even take the initiative to look for it. He wouldn't wait for it to come back. He would be the one to, to do the first step. And I'm sure none of us here have any sheep at home, but maybe it's easier for us to understand if many of us do have pets. If you do have three, five uh, dogs, one dog losing, you losing one dog, you wouldn't think, oh, it's okay, I still have four. In fact, you would also make your efforts to be able to see that dog and find that dog. You would post it in Facebook, you would make posters of it, you would tell of the community, so that as much as you can, you will be able to find it as soon as you can. Why? 
Because you know that if it's not in your hands, it's going to get in trouble. It's going to get rolled over, it's going to get sick, it's going to get cooked, whatever. But it's going to get into danger. And that is why you would care for it so much. And when you actually find it, you will rejoice with it. You will be happy about it. Maybe not a call for a party, but in this case, the shepherd was so happy, it elicits so great of a joy, he even calls for a celebration because now he knows that this sheep that he cared for so much is now in a secure condition and now he could care for it again. See, if you and I can understand what it means to care for an animal, a creature, if you and I can understand what it means to care for a sheep or a dog, this also demonstrates the same heart of God towards people who need him. You see, the first thing that Jesus wants us to understand about the heart of God toward those who need Him is that God dearly cares for lost people. God dearly cares for lost people. And His response to that nature of Him to care is that God takes initiative to seek and to find them. Because God dearly cares for lost people, therefore God takes the initiative to seek and to find them. Now, the Bible tells us that we are all like sheep. We are easily gone astray. And Jesus, God himself, the good shepherd, desires that lost people, especially wandering in this life away from him, be found. Because he desires that they be spared with the troubles of this life, treading life apart from him. He knows it's a great trouble and it's a great danger. He knows that living this life on their own will cost them and bring them into damnation. And that is especially true when, it thinks in things matter, when things that matter to eternity. See, the implied lesson that Jesus wanted to, us to learn as well is that if a shepherd could cultivate that kind of care for a sheep, so should we are to, are to cultivate the same heart towards people who are lost and in need of God. And you see, what, 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 what makes that true, what makes that evident is that when we are able to take the initiative to seek for them as a reflection of God's care as well. Now, many of us can care for people in all kinds of ways. Many of us can meet different kinds of needs, whether it be material things or other things. But I think if I would ask, do we care enough for people's spiritual needs? Do we care enough for them that we would take the initiative to bring up a spiritual conversation, to tell about them about God, to show them that we really care because eternity matters, isn't it? You see, do we actually even find ways and seek opportunities so that we can lead people to God? Or we say, if you don't want it, who cares? God says, just like a good shepherd, He would seek for them. He would do His best as much as He can. And so should we have the same heart towards lost people because when we cultivate God's heart, then we can celebrate God's joy. It's when we cultivate God's heart, then we can celebrate God's joy. Now moving on to the next vignette, this is what Jesus said. Verses 8 to 10. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The second scenario that Jesus talks about here is that of a lost coin. And the question that he was posing now is, what if 
you lost something that is of great value, such as a silver coin, what would you do? Now, looking for lost objects uh, in houses before was a very taxing thing. It was not a very easy job. Back then, houses were full of dirt, and uh, it's often dark. And so it's not very easy to actually look for something, especially of a small size. You see, the silver coin here that was referred to can actually be talking about a silver as in a day's wage. Uh, or it could also be part of a, dowry, of a Palestinian woman's dowry, which they wear around their heads. And in any case, even though what we can see is that losing that one coin doesn't really possess great wealth. But what motivates that woman to actually do what she, do, she does and to be able to find it and do it tirelessly until she gets it back? See, it is simply because of its value to her. It's because that one silver coin is so significant, it is so important to her. That is why he would, she would do, to, 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 to do even the inconvenient just to be able to get just that. Uh, regardless of the inconveniences, it's always worth doing it and find it because it is important. And finding it, as we have seen, cost them also great joy and there was great delight in the owner. Well, now in our day's time, maybe it's about us losing a cell phone and leaving it somewhere and realizing when you were already elsewhere. You would go to great lengths to go back to it, right? You would do your effort to be able to get it back. Maybe it's easy for you to buy another one anyway, but because that is important to you, you would do that effort to be able to find it as much as you can. Maybe it's losing some amount of money uh, that is important, that, that where it will, it will be put into is a very important that losing it somewhere causes you to say, let me go back again and see if it's still there. Because again, it is important to you. Just as a woman values a silver coin and would search for it tirelessly until she finds it, just as we would value a material thing like a cell phone and do to great lengths have it, having it back, so is the heart of God towards lost people. And the second truth that Jesus conveys about the heart of God towards lost people is that God values each person equally. God values each person equally. And His response to that heart is that God does even the inconvenient to search and redeem them. Because God values each person equally, therefore God does even the inconvenient to search and redeem them back. See, regardless of social status, regardless of reputation, accomplishments in life, circumstances that we are in, each and every individual is important to God because each and every individual needs the Lord. You see, each person's value is important, is is valuable to God because each person is made in His image. And because of that, that, in God's eyes, each each person's value, they never change. They never appreciate, nor do they depreciate. In God's eyes, everyone, everyone's value is just the same. I've heard of this story of a well-known pastor. He once asked his congregation, pulling out a a thousand peso bill and said, who among you here would want a thousand peso bill? And of course, everyone raised their hands. And so he said, okay, how about this? He crumpled the thousand, the the, the bill and, and put it back up and said, so, Now, how about this? Who among you here wants this thousand peso bill? Everybody still raised their hands. And then he said, okay, how about this? He crumpled it again really hard, spit on it, put it on the floor, stepped on it with his dirty shoes, 
Bring it up again. So, who among you here now wants this thousand peso bill? Guess what? Everyone still raised their hands. And he said to them, Brothers and sisters, I think that's a great, there's a great lesson that we can learn with that. Because no matter what I do with this bill, with this money, you still want it because its value is still ne- is, is never reduced. It is still a thousand pesos no matter what. In the same way that God values each one of us. No matter our brokenness, no matter the situations that we have got ourselves into, no matter the, the, the challenges that we have uh, made and the, the decisions that we have made, we are still valuable to the Lord. You see, each and every one, whether we are clean or unclean, whether we are trampled or spit, split, uh, we are trampled or spit, in God's eyes, our worth never diminishes. You and I are constantly important to Him. So are those that do not know Him yet. See, when you and I reflect and align the heart of God, our view of God must be seen from God's lenses. That we would see each person the same way that God would do. That whatever brokenness that they have, whatever struggles each one is going through, we recognize that each one is in need of the Lord and they are important to God. See, when you and I cultivate that kind of heart, it changes our response. Our response must be that we are willing to take the extra mile. That we are even willing to do the inconvenient so that we can be reaching, we can be able to reach out someone, so that we can allow them to know the Lord, so that in our gesture, it, it, it can communicate how God values them through how we value them. See, if you would evaluate your heart, how do you see and view people considering how God sees them? Especially those that may not know Him just yet. Do you see value in them the same way that God does? Would you go to great lengths to the point that you would want them to also find their identity to their maker? Would you want to be that that means that God can display that they are valuable to God? And you know what happens when we do that? When we pour out our hearts and, and do even the little acts of kindness, even little acts of sacrifices because a person's valuable and they need the Lord. Jesus says, every precious soul that is found and brought back to Him is worth celebrating. It causes great joy. See, if you and I can celebrate recovering a thing, how much more can we have more reason to celebrate when we have a recovered soul and part of the family of God? See, when you and I cultivate the heart of God, we celebrate God's joy. See, animals and coins, though profound as they may be in this context, they cannot fully capture the heart of God. And so Jesus goes on to the climax of uh, his response. And I'm sure all of us are very well, very well aware of this uh, segment of, of these parables called the prodigal son. And so verses 11 to 24 reads this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls on me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough 
and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he, has, he was still a far great way off, his father saw him and his, had compassion and ran and fell in a snake and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it in him and put, it, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, son, for this my son was dead and is alive again, for he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Well, this third scenario that Jesus sets up, the implied question that Jesus was posting now was, what if you lost someone you deeply love? Just like your child, what would you do? See, what the younger brother did, as we all know, is that he wanted to live a life of his own. He asked for his inheritance. The father for sure felt sad about it. He did a dishonor. After that, he squandered everything, lived the prodigal life. He ended up in a devastated situation. He had to bear up the consequences of his actions until he finally wake up, woke up to reality. He acknowledged that the life that he got himself into was actually a disgrace. He realized that the life apart from the father was a miserable mistake. See, after all that have happened to him, we were told he, he came to himself, meaning he had a change of mind. He began to decide to return to his father. And his hope was that he can make things right as he would actually work his way back and earn some place maybe in his father's house, even just a servant. But on his way back, as soon as the father saw him, we knew that the, we see that the father did uh, tons of unexpected things, uh, revealing really what was in the heart of the father. And one of those was that the father actually ran towards him. You know, back then, running was not uh, an accepted idea for older people. It was, uh, it was a symbol of a dignity and authority. Uh, it's supposed to be the younger ones that would approach the older ones. Uh, and so uh, the father still did it anyway. See, what we see there that is that it was a display of his eagerness for his child to be back home again. He was so excited. He must have been waiting for him for so long and that he couldn't help but really go to him. You know, according to the law, a wayward son just like that deserves to be stoned to death. That was the rule before. But instead, what we saw was the father showed compassion. The father embraced him, kissed him, as the grammar said, over and over again. And somehow, that gesture of the father was saying, if you're going to stone him, stone me instead. See, immediately what happens was that he accepted his son into the family with full privileges and honor as if nothing happened. He didn't make him earn his place. He forgave him, extended mercy, abounded with his, in his grace towards him. See, the father showcased just how much he celebrated and was so excited to have his child back. See, just like a father would receive back a child in that way, so is the heart of God towards those who seek and return to Him. The third truth that Jesus speaks about the heart of God toward people is that God accepts each person compassionately. God accepts each person compassionately. 
Therefore, the response of God to that is that God graciously welcomes and restores anyone who returns to Him. As God accepts each person compassionately, therefore God graciously welcomes and restores anyone who returns to Him. There was an interesting story of a mom who had, a, who had a, an interesting conversation with her five-year-old. And uh, the five-year-old one day approached and asked, Mom, is God a grown-up or a parent? The mom was a little puzzled. I'm not sure what you mean. Um, is there a difference between a grown-up and a parent? The child responded and said, oh, yes. Uh, and then she explained, grown-ups love you when you are good. Parents love you anyway. Now, just as a parent would love and accept a child, no matter what, no matter the situation is, that he would, he, they would welcome them into the family, so is the heart of God when a lost child returns to Him. That He would surely show compassion, that He would surely extend forgiveness, that He would be ready for them to be reconciled back again to Him and welcome Him warmly, celebrating His return. Now, sometimes uh, it's, we all know that the reality is it's not very easy to be accepting of people, isn't it? Sometimes there are people who, even among our circles, are different. They uh, can be difficult to deal with. They can be a challenge to put up with. Put it simply, some, sometimes others are harder to love. But guess what? God loves them too. Just like you and me can sometimes be hard to love just as you and me as unworthy and undeserving of God's love, they also are loved by the Lord. God also wants to welcome them. God also wants them back into His family. You see, there is this story of a college boy named Bill. And Bill was also quite unique. Uh, his hair was always in a wild uh, uh, get-up, and uh, he would wear t-shirt with holes in it, wrinkled jeans, and that's, her natu- that's his natural setup. Uh, that's uh, his natural way of wardrobe uh, every single day. And apparently, he got to know the Lord uh, as part, uh, he got to uh, be exposed with the Christian faith uh, as he was attending his college. And apparently, there was a church across his campus, and the members there were all well-dressed, they were very conservative, and so, uh, somehow, Bill decides to visit that church. And as he walked in with his usual getup of his wild hair, holes, t-shirt uh, with holes and wrinkled jeans, he realized when he got in that there was actually no place for him. The, the place was packed. And so, he began to actually walk down the aisle looking for some seat. Well, the members looked to him a bit uncomfortable, but no one said anything. As Bill continues to walk, he gets closer and closer to the front and and realizing, I guess there's really no seat. And finding himself up front and nowhere to go, he decides to sit on the carpet. Well, by now, members were uptight. Tension fills the air. And all the way from the back of the church, there was this old guy who stood up. He was one of the deacons of the church. And he's now in his 80s with his suit, with his cane, and started to walk down the aisle as well. And as, 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 as that slow walk was happening, uh, everyone uh, was, 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 in, was having a tense moment. And they were saying, you can't blame him for what he's going to do with that college boy. Now, it took quite some more time, and all eyes were focused on what uh, this 
on all, all eyes focused on that deacon, the church was utterly silent. Even the preacher was haven't begun until the old guy does what he, so he is going to do. And when he reached his front, the con- as the congregation was watching him with great difficulty, the 80-year-old guy, the 80-year-old guy did what the old what the 80-year-old guy did was that he lowered himself, sat next to that college boy. So that in that service, he wouldn't feel alone and he would know that he would still welcome in their church. See, if you and I are to cultivate the heart of God, we see each person from God's standpoint, just like a loving father. That each person to him is is loved. That he seeks each one to be able to be returned back to his family. That they are his God's child as well, that love God loves them just the same. Just as how you and me were once lost, just as how you and me were once not yet in the family of God, but God so loved you and welcomed you back. When we understand that, that when we understand that, then we strive also to be, to be, to be, to be accepting of people who also seek God that we become the channels of that accepting and welcoming spirit to the people who actually need Him and seek Him. See, when we want to exemplify that welcoming spirit, it will reflect the love and the grace of God. And when you and I do just that, even if it's not easy, even if sometimes it, if it, it can be uncomfortable, when we see one soul recovered, when we see one life again back into the family of God, then we have all the reason to celebrate as well. Then we have understand what it means to be welcomed and to have that same joy when that brother or sister in the Lord is now part of the family. You see, when we cultivate God's heart, then we can celebrate God's joy. While all the previous stories ended in celebration, we hope this story ended this way. But apparently it did not. And so we proceed in verses 25 to 32. It reads, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, this many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. Well, this story is, uh, somehow has ended hanging. We weren't exactly sure how everything else transpired. But what we all know is that while everybody else was celebrating, this elder son comes along, wondering what's happening. He didn't expect any celebration that day. And when he knew that the celebration was all about his brother being back again, he got really upset. He wasn't really happy, and he even walked out, didn't want to have anything to do with that party. See, all his life, he was working for the Father. He was working hard to serve the Father. And yet, he still did not understand the Father's heart. 
Though he can be busy with a lot of things, his relationship with his father, he thought it is because of his work that he, it, that he can earn a good relationship with the father. That through his work, that is how the father would love him more. He was unhappy and he couldn't accept the thought that the father would do such a thing for a wayward, undeserving brother of his. He felt that of all that the work that he was doing, it was him that should be celebrated. Now, sometimes the sad reality is that as well, isn't it? Many people live out their walk with the Lord just like a religion. That the things that we do is out of obligation. We think that there are there, our relationship with God is about finishing some checklist. And when we check, when we check, when we finish all those checklists, then God is joyful. Then God is more happy with us because we are able to finish that checklist. What many have failed to understand is that the Christian life is not a religion and that leads to obligation. The Christian life is a relationship that leads to an overflow of your life. That the things that, 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 that God has been doing to us, how gracious He is to us, the many things that He does for us, undeserving and unworthy we may be, we see that and that draws us closer to Him. We realize that we never can outgive Him. We realize He is too good but yet, no matter how much fallen I am, He would still love me and do the same things for me. And you know what's the beautiful thing about that? He, that grace of, in, his, in your life isn't supposed to end with you. Just as the great commandment told us we are to love God with all of our mind, soul, and strength, the second commandment says we are to love our neighbor as yourself. As we have that relationship with God, it must be translated to the people that we are to love. Because when we understand God's heart very much, one that is wanting and seeking to redeem those that are in need of Him. He wants to redeem those who seek Him. That His desire is now us being the instruments for that. That His desire is now we become the, chal- become the challenges, channels of that grace. That when He has extended that grace to us, we extend that to the people that need it the most so that they can experience what it means to be cared for by God, to be valued by God, and to be accepted and welcomed by God. You see, His desire is that as He has brought in people also in our lives back then, that is why we are here today. That is why we, are, we know the Lord. It is also now our turn to do just that. To also engage people and share to them how much God cares for them, how much God loves them, and values them, and how much God would want to accept them and welcome them into the family. See, God's desire is that we cultivate this heart that we may also share in His joy, so that when we reach the spiritually lost, that we seek them, that later on we will see them back into the family and we will say, this is worthy of a celebration. How can you celebrate something that you are not involved in, right? But when we understand that, we see the, the heart of God. We see how it means to celebrate having a soul, a brother and sister in the Lord, back into the family of God. See, the beauty of the Christian life is that God is gracious and loving towards people. That God is not just a task-oriented God. God is a people-oriented one. Such that He cares for people immensely. That He would even go towards great lengths just to reach those that need Him. That He is a God who values people greatly because they are created in His image and 
His desire is that they be found and be kept in good company. That He is a God who accepts and who accepts one regardless of what one has been through and gives one a brand new start when he returns to him as his child, as his family member. See, when you and I, being recipients of His grace, we who were once lost, but now also is found as a child of God, I pray that you and I will also cultivate the same heart. That you and I, as God becomes more and more true to us, that we experience more of God's goodness, we cultivate that and we translate that to people. That we would care for people who need Him and seek Him. That we would value them enough to reach them out, do even the inconvenient, so that they can be led to the Lord. That we be compassionate to accept, hard as it may be, and be gracious to welcome each soul that returns to the Lord. And then we welcome them and says, welcome brother and sister in the Lord. Isn't that a great image if you think about it? One day you get to heaven. You don't exactly know who you have led exactly, but because of your care, because of how you value people, people will tell you, thank you. It's because of how you valued me. It's because of how you have cared for me. It's because of how you have welcomed me that led me and made me know the Lord. And if it's not for you, I wouldn't. May it be that our lives reflect just that. It will be a reflective of, our, of God's heart in our heart. Because when we cultivate God's heart, then we can celebrate God's joy. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, we lift up to you this time to give you thanks for your grace. Thank you, O Lord, for being a good shepherd uh, that, that, that seeks for us. Thank you for being one who values us so much uh, that, you, are, that we, you see us important. Thank you, Father, for being a father to us that, that, that accepts us and welcomes us no matter what. Father, I'd just like to pray as well that uh, in our time together, if there is anyone that maybe is in a crossroad right now, maybe they are in a search for you, I pray, O oh, Father, that as they have known uh, these characters of yours, that they also come a step closer to knowing Jesus. That they, through uh, the, ex- the expression, Father God, of your love, through, die- through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and doing uh, what is best for us because you love us so much, I pray that that would become an opening door for them to realize that they are valuable, that they are cared for, that they are loved. I pray as well for each one of us, sir, that if you would bring to mind people, bring to mind uh, those that we recognize that is in need of God. Pray, O oh Father, that it may be that relative, it may be that, that office mate, it may be that neighbor, it may be that friend. It may be that struggling person that we have met. It may have been that, 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 that individual whom we have come across with. Whoever that be, O oh Lord, we pray that you begin to cultivate our hearts so that we can do just that. That we build our hearts that would care for people, that would value people, that would welcome them into your family. May it be, Lord, that your name be glorified above all things that we have had today. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.